Today on Podcast by the Bay, we speak with the Chief Economic and Business Advisor for the State of California, Lenny Mendoza. I think this may be the defining, uh, along with climate change, the defining issue for our uh, generation, which is we really have to have an economy that works for everyone. Today, as I said, and California is no different than many other parts of the country and the world where we have a recovery, but the recovery has not reached for everyone. Who discusses many of the issues affecting California, including high-speed rail, opportunity zones, income disparity, and sustainable growth and how regions can rise together. What we need is more housing where the jobs are, particularly in the Bay Area and in Southern California. We need more jobs where the housing is in the Inland Empire in Central California and parts of the the eastern um, parts of the state. And then we need investment in high-quality transit that connects those two in a way that isn't people sitting alone in their car and and adding to congestion, to carbon emission, pollution, and making it hard to have a family life and communities when you've got people that are commuting two hours each way. All coming up on today's episode of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs. www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also Highway Soul Productions. www.highwaysoul.com And now, another podcast by the Bay. Okay, welcome to Podcast by the Bay. This is Andre. And this is Patrick. And welcome to another rendition of Podcast by the Bay. We thank you for being with us. We thank you for spreading the word. And we thank you for downloading this episode at Podcast by the Bay. And so today we're actually going to speak with a wonderful guest. It's a good friend of ours. And he's actually the Chief Economic and Business Advisor for the State of California. And that's Lenny Mendoza. And so, Patrick, you've spoken with Lenny before. We got to meet him again. There's a lot of changes happening. Can you give us a little background about your guys' interview? Yeah, no, this was um, a great opportunity. It was a second interview, and I did interview him um, at his establishment out there in Half Moon Bay, the, the Half Moon Bay uh, brewery that he has out there. And we were in the same room. Um, it, it was a very cordial uh, mid-afternoon. I think it was around 3 o'clock. And uh, he was still very busy in the restaurant. So we have a little noise factor in the back. Um, Lenny was quite prepared. Um, and as you know, he's been honored by the uh, governor of the state of California, our new governor, Gavin Nuisance, to be the chief economic business advisor of the state of California. I don't want to go into a lot of details about Lenny because we did interview Lenny before his background. He's, he also teaches in graduate school in Stanford. Uh, he's well known on the peninsula. Uh, he raised his he's raised his uh, two daughters on the peninsula, so he's quite active in the peninsula. Um, we focused on a, a lot of different things, but the main focus was transportation. He was very passionate about the uh, doing a much more efficient transit system. 
We talked about high-speed rail. We talked about local transportation. We talked about the lack of a uh, transit district. Um, his view on the transit district still seems to be not quite in the same position that we kind of like to see um, a much more interface transit district locally that would go more to other surrounding counties. Um, we talked about homelessness. Um, homelessness is a big thing. We, when we talked about homelessness, that was probably going to lead into our next discussion because predominantly throughout this um, opportunity of 34 or 35 minutes, we were talking about transportation. We were talking about the high-speed rail and where it's going to go and the little battle that we're having with our uh, uh, present um, president and the federal government of the funds that might be held up in in the court. So with that, I don't have very much more uh, to say about Lenny. I want, want to encourage you to go back to our original podcast and find out a little bit more about Lenny. Uh, like I said, Lenny is uh, he didn't need to take this job, so he's doing it doing it from the uh, from the graciousness of his heart and the dedication to be a public servant. And for our listeners out there, I've got a new acronym. It's called P-O-L, Political Office Licking. If you're on the Internet and you're on Facebook, you're going to see politicians or wannabe politicians or people talking about issues. But they all might say, I love your suit or I love your two twin sons. So look and see if you can identify some P-O-L, Political Office Licking, or wannabe politicians trying to trying to be nice to the local politicians. Just a little sidebar from Patrick at Podcast by the Bay. Well, it sounds good, Patrick. And, and I think uh, we do want to thank Lenny's staff, Mikhail, uh, Caitlin, and Anish. And uh, they actually do produce a podcast of their own. It's called Made in California. And you can check it out on any of the podcast sites. I've actually listened to it myself. It's very good, very well produced. So definitely check it out. You can hear a little bit more about the inner workings of the economic vision. And we actually did discuss a lot of those kind of topics here as well. Uh, some of the opportunity zones and things like that that are really happening for the economic vision of California. So with that, I think we're going to go ahead and sign off. And uh, if you have any questions, you have any feedback, please reach out to us at podcastbythebay at gmail. And you can follow us on Twitter at podcastbythebay is our handle. So with that, signing off, this is Andre. And this is Patrick. And we'll catch you on the next time of Podcast by the Bay. Stay tuned. Welcome to Podcast by the Bay. It is Friday and it is August 18th and I'm in Half Moon Bay. And I have the honor of interviewing the new California director uh, for Economic Development, Office of Business and Economic Development, Lenny Mendoza. Uh, he's the chief advisor for Governor Na Gavin Newsom, as known as GoBiz. He's a senior partner, emeritus of McKinsey and Company. He lectures inequality at Stanford University. He lives in Half Moon Bay with his two daughters and his wife. Um, and he's been here for how long have you been in Half Moon Bay? We've been in Half Moon Bay for 30 years now. He was formerly the chair of the, the New American and Child Now and, and co-chair of California Forward and co-founder, a chairman of Fuse Corp. Um, it's been about a year since Podcast by the Bay has interviewed Lenny, and now Lenny's in a position that he's, he's doing something for the state, and he's doing something for uh, Governor Newsom and the people in the state of California. So can you give us a little bit of an overview, because... You really came from a, almost a private industry, and now you're working for the state of California uh, in their best interest. Great. Well, 
thank you and happy to have the chance to talk with you again um, and excited about what's going on in the state of California and with uh, the governor. What we're trying to do is, and what I'm trying to help him and the team with, is helping uh, ensure that the California economy works for everyone. So obviously a major portion of California's economy is driven by business success, so the chief uh, business and economic advisor, and more broadly trying to think about what are the things that the state can do in its role to help encourage uh, an economy that is as robust as it is now and sustain that, but be even more resilient to the cycles that come, um, sustainable, sustainable and environmental and, and uh, broadly uh, sustained, and then inclusive so that that benefits for the California economy get shared more widely. So there's a whole set of things that we're trying to do on that front, and happy to talk about those over the course of the conversation. Just for our listeners, California rates the fifth largest economy in the world. So we really do impact uh, not only the United States, but the world. So with that, I'd like to kind of go forward with uh, some of the uh, uh, programs that you're really interested in, and one of them is high-speed rail. Um, I know on the plate is a $1.6 billion design plan. Uh, the design plan, I think they're still out there looking for somebody to help design it. Why don't you give us a little introduction um, on, the, uh, on, the, on the train there that we're talking about? Sure. One of the things that I do in my role is I'm chairman of the California High-Speed Rail Authority, and we're responsible for overseeing the design and development deployment of California High-Speed Rail, which was approved by voters and um, and has been supported by grants from the federal government and state support through cap-and-trade funds to help develop a, a world-class high-speed rail system for the state like a lot of other countries in the world have. Um, I've ridden on the ones in, in China, in Japan, and in Europe. And if anyone has ever been on one, you can see why you get excited about it. It really shortens the distance and time to get across this big and diverse state. And importantly, is designed to help connect the different parts of California today that are hard to get to or take a lot of time to get between. So at the at the major urban centers of between the, the northern Bay Area and, and southern California, LA and San Diego, but importantly in the near term, uh, building out the track between Merced and Bakersfield to help demonstrate in that large stretch of the state that's at the, the uh, heartland of the state can be connected to the urban centers in the, in the north and the south. So we're uh, in the process of that build-out today. We are also, as you mentioned, in the early stages of, de- of going out for requests for proposal on the next stage of that development. It's um, also, in addition to being an important economic connection from a transit standpoint, it is also much more environmentally um, attractive, so trying to take cars off the roads. If you are commuting between um, Central California, the northern part of Central California, and trying to get over the Altamont or get into the Bay Area, you can see why we need that. And then it's also an important, in the near term, in the building blocks approach where we're putting a the first tracks on the ground of Central Valley. It's a big economic development engine for Central California. In fact, um, the, in the last year, it was a, about 30% of the job creation in, in, the Fresno, in Fresno County, much of it in local small business and minority contractors who are helping 
uh, helping deploy it. So we're very excited about it. It's obviously it's the biggest infrastructure project in the United States. Um, it, that when you try and do something, it's not like China where we just say we're going to decide where we're going to put it and lay the tracks. It takes time and effort, and it's not without its complexity. But um, I'm excited when the governor asked me to be overseeing that to help ensure it's governed well and that we're transparent about how we're delivering and that we um, deliver on that promise of uh, high-speed trans- high transit for the state of California. Now, I think the first leg of what I was reading is <clears throat> you kind of have a deadline on 2022 uh, to get that leg and design going. Um, and there was a partnership here with the federal government, um, and I know we're having a little bit of a battle with the current administration on a, a billion dollars. Um, where is that going? So the the uh, state has had a long history of great collaboration with the federal government. You know, the Federal Railroad Authority, through multiple administrations, has been uh, a, an intimate partner with us in trying to ensure that this is done properly, and including substantial grants, um, some from the Recovery Act and then another more specific piece of legislation. Um, you know, This president has uh, threatened to pull that. Um, and stopped cooperating with us. They agreed to cooperate with us on environmental issues, and we have uh, gone to court to say you can't pull those funding. So, you know, we're, these things have occasionally unnecessarily get political. Um, infrastructure building has always, particularly major projects, have always been a, a state-federal partnership, and it's a bipartisan agreement. It's a fact if you go on Capitol Hill and listen to testimony about infrastructure support. It's one of the few things that you have uh, D's and R's agreeing this is important. And you also have business and labor, the Chamber of Commerce and the AFL-CIO both testifying for more infrastructure investment. Um, The challenges come in how you fund it and where the money comes from. But in terms of ongoing uh, support, while we have occasional challenges like we've got at this moment in time from more of a political challenge from the top, um, you know, we're, we're continuing to assume that we'll have ongoing collaboration and support um, when, when uh, things move forward. What is this deadline date of 2022? It's partly driven by the, there are different deadlines that are associated with the requirements from the uh, ballot proposition that set it in the first place and then the, the uh, grants that have come from the federal government. Okay, now I've heard some figures overall that this is about a $79 billion project. Uh, do you think that's uh, a fair evaluation or is that just an, an estimate? You know, the, you have the uh, High Speed Rail Authority puts out an updated business plan um, that is the current estimate of what that is based on best available information and current plans. Um, that's about what it is at this point in time. The um, From the beginning, the the plans have always had a necessitation that there would be funds that were were made available through the, through the ballot proposition that would be the initial funds and there would be more. And we now have funding and support for 30% of the project um, and the next stage is going to come when we show that we can deliver on that and that will come have to come from an ongoing uh, range of sources from state government from the federal government. We ultimately we believe there'll be private sector interest in supporting some components of uh, the build-out. Well, I'm going to regress a little bit about our interview <clears throat> that we did um, about a year ago, and we were talking about transportation. And <clears throat> one of the dovetails of living on the peninsula is we don't have a 
transit district, uh, that everybody's still fighting for the same federal and state tax dollar, whether it's Sam Tram or whether it's BAR or whether it's Caltrain. Any more thoughts on it now? Uh, do you think a uh, regional transportation uh, district would be something that we should look at? Well, I don't know about the sort of formality of how that would be structured, but I do think it is important if we're going to have the quality and integration of transit systems that we need for the state and for this part of the state, they need to be closely coordinated. And my experience, especially having taken this role, is there's actually really good on-the-ground collaboration and discussions on that. We have great collaboration and discussion with Caltrans. We have great collaboration and ongoing work with the ACE and the San Joaquins. And we have less connection directly with BART, but it's going to be an important component of the station in San Jose to make sure that Caltrans and BART and high-speed rail are all coordinated on what that looks like. And um, they've been, you know, this is what we should be doing. And from my, my experience to date, it's been great. We have a new Secretary of Transportation who has got deep experience in integrated transit systems. And, you know, these things only work when, from a passenger or citizen standpoint, you feel like you're getting on one place and you're getting off where you need to go. From, you, from your standpoint, it doesn't matter who's doing it. You just want to get there as expeditiously as possible. And I think there's things that will be coming that are uh, more going to help enable that from a passenger standpoint. Things like, why do you just have one ticket that allows you to go wherever you want electronically? Um, you know, how do, why can we make this easier to align schedules and, and coordinate so that you can get on and off these? Well, I'm excited to hear that conversation because the last time we were talking, we were still only talking about the Clipper card. Yeah. And uh, I know the Clipper card is beginning become to expand a lot more into the traffic. Since we passed Regional Measure 9, um, what's happened in the, in the Bay Area with Regional 9 is I know the funding's there uh, and the improvements are starting to happen on the roads and also with uh, Caltrain's. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, we also had obviously the big Prop 1A that, that did state um, transit funding. There's a lot of resources that have been deployed and voters understand the importance of investing in transit projects. In fact, um, there are broad coalitions of support with supermajority voter approval in most of these. It just takes a while to get the funds deployed. Um, I, I also believe there's going to be more needed and would be supported. There's a lot of conversations around a much more substantial measure to um, bring uh, transit funding to the Bay Area that would be, um, as, as you all know, if you're doing any driving during rush hour anywhere in the Bay Area and it feels like it's rush hour all the time, that we've got an issue. Um, it's not going to get solved by just building more freeways. It's going to have to be trans mass transit, and it's going to th those things are capital expenditures that are partly public goods. So we'll have to see more public um, engagement in those. Now, I, um, seventy percent of the growth in the state of California from twenty ten to twenty eighteen uh, has been pretty much Los Angeles in the coastal areas all the way down to San Diego. Um, where do you see the future growth? I know if you go onto your website, you, you've got some uh, information that you uh, put out there for the public. Where do you see the growth happening in transportation, jobs, and careers? Yeah, so um, you know, we are uh, literally today, the state of California's Economic Development Department released numbers that this is, we have tied the longest post-war expansion in history California, 113 months of job growth um, in the state of California. It's something we should be very excited about. You know, that's um, the 
an enormous amount of progress, 3.3 million jobs, 15, over the course of the, the, that time period, 15% of the job growth net nationally, and we're now over a $3 trillion economy. Um, and when you combine job growth and pay increases in California during that time, you see that employers have increased the paychecks of workers in California at an annual rate of over $400 billion. That is more than the next two states in the United States combined, more than Texas and New York combined. So that's all fantastic, and we ought to pause and take a moment and say, if you were in the bottom of the cycle in the Great Recession, you would not have necessarily believed we would get to this point again. But the challenge is that that growth is way too concentrated. As you said, 70% of the job growth has been on the coast. And that's um, a, a wonderful sense that the, there is this economic opportunity there. But we're a big state, and we need much more broadly shared prosperity. Um, and we need an economy that your opportunity is not dependent on your zip code. And what's happening today is that job growth is there and what's happening is that because it's there's such demand people are commuting long distances from the central valley to the bay area or from the inland empire to los angeles and orange county or to san diego and that creates a, an imbalance of jobs and housing and we, what we need is more housing where the jobs are particularly in the bay area and in southern california we need more jobs where the housing housing is and the Inland Empire in Central California and parts of the, the eastern um, parts of the state. And then we need investment in high-quality transit that connects those two in a way that isn't people sitting alone in their car and, and adding to congestion, to carbon emission, pollution, and making it hard to have a family life and communities when you've got people that are commuting two hours each way. Well, while I'm excited about the high-speed rail, um, the last time we talked and interviewed, I mentioned about a gentleman named Dave Tanner. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Tanner uh, was a former city council person in Redwood City, or not Redwood City, Woodside, for 18 years. His proposal was a high-speed rail, uh, and the high-speed rail was near the Tamferan Shopping Center, because they're going to level the Tamferan Shopping Center. Um, I'm excited to hear about the high-speed rail we're talking about, but don't we have some immediate concerns, yeah. like you just brought it up, <clears throat> maybe 35% of the traffic is coming from Fresno, Manteca, Tracy. Do you think we need to deal with that high-speed rail on more of a regional thing? Because um, I know the initial take was for me on the high-speed rail happened around the recession that we had in the state of California, um, and we thought it was going to put people back to work. It sounded like a great idea. Uh, and then the high-speed rail continued to escalate costs. Cities were having challenges, whether it would be an underpass, overpass. Right. So do we need to uh, approach this regional transportation issue with the surrounding counties first before we do the high-speed rail? Um, no, it's yes and, honestly. So the... Um, we, we definitely need the high-speed rail longer um, time, longer uh, commute, longer transit connection, um, and that's underway. But we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We need, and it's happening already from the high-speed rails funding, to do the environmental work so that the connection from the Central Valley north and south happens. But we also need and are having investment in electrification of Caltrans in term, and substantial deployment, as you mentioned earlier, of both state 
funds through the recently passed and reaffirmed gas tax increase, but also through local measures. I mean, Los Angeles has passed an enormous amount of funding for local transit, and whenever they're on the Bay Area and they've got their thought through, well, voters support those. So the answer is yes, we need both, and um, we can do that. It's, you know, we're the, the traffic you see and the run-up in housing prices is at least in part a consequence of a very robust economy. And so, you know, when you have that kind of economy, you need to invest in the infrastructure to support it. And partly because we had uh, a great recession and a decade of recovery, we haven't invested in our infrastructure to keep pace with that. And so that's what we need to be doing. It's yes and. When we talk about infrastructure, and I, I think for our listeners so that they have a broad aspect of what infrastructure, that means your sewers, that means your electrification, it means your PG&E and all that other type of stuff. Even with this rapid growth that we've seen uh, on new developments on housing, we haven't seen that money really reinvested into those areas, except that it's put on the, the developers to uh, right. you know. so. How can the state grab a hold of that uh, without going broke? Sure. The, um, we haven't seen the level of investment that we need in infrastructure to keep pace with that. That's true in California. It's true in the entire country. California is underinvested. We've done better than many because voters have been prepared to support local measures and statewide measures to invest in all kinds of infrastructure. But the federal government's massively invest, underinvested um, over the last decade or two in infrastructure as well. And it is all of the kinds of infrastructure that you mentioned, as well as a technical infrastructure. You know, we're in the midst of a transition to 5G and the next wave of broadband, which we absolutely need. It's essential to, to make the connection for the Internet of Things and our transit systems, among others, work really well. It's also essential that that infrastructure not just be concentrated in wealthy urban areas. You know, if you are not on to the physical infrastructure that connects you to the rest of the state, that's a problem. If you're not on the technical infrastructure that connects you to the Internet and the rest of the world, that's an even bigger problem. So we need to make sure that we have that deployment done as well. The good news is a lot of that can be done by private funding because it's in the interest of of companies who can be make uh, regulated returns on that investment to do that, but you know we're uh, I'm, I think the uh, the investment in infrastructure is an extraordinarily important part of the ongoing success of of California. We'll need it in a lot of dimensions, from transit to water to sewer to um, telecommunications to energy. Recently, um, oh, probably about four or five months ago, and maybe it's a little bit longer, the uh, CE, CFO of Google um, proposed to give the uh, state of California, I think, for Santa Clara, $1 billion for housing. Now, my reading and reading it close, it was a conditional $1 billion condition on some housing development that he needed down in that area. Any opinion on that? And also, I'm going to get a secondary backup question. Are we doing a better job interfacing with your Facebook, your Salesforce, your Google? Because I think part of the housing dilemma that we have can be solved or worked through them with the infrastructure. Yeah, no, I think we, we are getting a better um, engagement and partnership and and ongoing dialogue with major employers um, in the state, not just those, but others across the state, um, in part because it's in their economic interest because they need workers, and that's good. And so um, today, as you mentioned, unfortunately, given the way our fiscal structure works, 
too much of the the cost of supporting infrastructure is borne by new projects, which adds up to developer fees on the top, which raises the cost of the the housing, which makes it too unaffordable for people. And so what ends up happening is the entire, not the entire, but a large portion of infrastructure investment gets borne by new development as opposed to spread. And the state's done some things in the budget to try and relieve some of that infrastructure spending so that in exchange for lower developer fees to encourage housing development, um, both big companies as well as some philanthropic support has come in to try and help with um, the, the housing issues, but we're, we need more. We need more collaboration, more creativity, and more thinking on that front. I think the last time we talked, and, and I brought it up, and I'm glad to see the state's looking at it and our politicians, is using the surplus land near the corridor transportation places. Yes. Um, I had an opportunity to uh, interview Senator Weiner twice on one of his bills, uh, Senate Bill 50, and uh, his other bill, and obviously they went to defeat. But one of the integral parts was building density housing near corridor transportation area, which I think is positive. And I, I still come back with that same question. There's no survey that shows that people that are living near a corridor transportation will actually take it. And probably that is because of the inefficiency of the current system. No, I think, listen, I think there is an, an enormous need It's uh, for more transit oriented housing connected to where existing stations are and where stations in the future will be. Um, and there are there that is happening and they're actually they're they all get sold when they are occupied when they're built. And so the issue is just, you know, how long it takes and how much it costs to, to get them done. I will say there are other parts of the state that have done a really good job on some of this. A big portion of the new development in the city of Los Angeles has come from a set of places where that they designated as priorities for uh, walking distance to transit hubs for, for the, within the city. And what they've done is allowed more density credits in those areas and an expedited permitting process in exchange for certain levels of affordable set-asides within those, those um, developments. And they've made the math work in a way that they're seeing them happen. In fact, a big portion of the new housing production in Los Angeles is in those areas. And I think that's great. And we need more of that. We're going to need more creativity, more more innovation, uh, more ways to help figure out how to get more built faster and more get when it gets built faster and, and other things that can make it cheaper. Because we can't solve our housing crisis by just throwing more money at it. And I just want to say one more thing. The, the, the point you made about a publicly owned land, um, the state did a full census of the land that it owns that is potentially available for housing and designated thousands of plots. Um, more than a thousand of those are now in priority processes with cities across the state to try and encourage development on those. And that's a, that is a big plus if you and you know you can see it when you look around around places well what is that why isn't something being built there if it's a public land that was held aside for something else encouraging it to be used for high quality housing I think is a great idea well just for our listeners sake um, I'm a 38 year career realtor um, and 50% of the cost of any development at least in the Bay Area is the land mm -hmm. so for us to be able to acquire that land and build housing which we could be workforce housing or subsidized housing, I think, is wonderful. Um, <clears throat> one of the big questions that goes back, as, as you know, that the governor has come up with a statistical analysis that we need 
3.5 million houses. Right. But when we talk about the 3.5, we don't really understand or have a figure how much of it is that is senior housing, subsidized housing, uh, first-time home buyer. <clears throat> when we look at San Mateo and Santa Clara County, the majority of the building that we see is high-end rentals. Right. So how do we tackle that a little bit more efficiently? Some of the politicians, and I will just point blankly, their answer was, when we have our next, next recession, we'll know what we need. Now, I wasn't very happy with that response, but um, it, it was several politicians. That, yeah, I mean, uh, unequivocally, and the governor's been very clear on we've got a supply problem. We need a lot more built, we need a lot more built more quickly and less expensively, because you're right, the disproportionate share of the housing that's been built has been luxury, or at a minimum built at a, at a required price that is way out of what's possible for the average working Californian. So there's a big missing middle of development that needs to happen, and we're going to need a lot. All of the above are going to have to be part of the equation. It's going to have to be some creative use about what land is available. It's going to have to be an expedited permitting process to get it done more quickly. It's going to have to be innovation in the capital structure, including different sources. It's going to have to be new building processes. All of those things are going to be necessary if we're going to get from here to there. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure I had this discussion with you, but if you look at San Mateo and Santa Clara County, 60% of your senior citizens own homes. Now, I would say a lot of those homes are couples, single people, or they're renting out their rooms. Do we need to look at a re uh, tax system structure? Because when you think about it, you've got a half a million if you're married, you got 250000 if you're single, then every 24 months. You, so... I come across people that are, could be in Atherton, could be in Mellow Park, San Mateo, or Foster City, that are senior citizens, and the main main thing that they say is, I don't want to pay the taxes. Yeah. And then number two, I want to stay in my community. So those two things could could somehow help the imbalance, because we're renting, if we're building rental units, it's because the young people that are coming in, one can't afford it, who don't want that quite there. So how do we balance that? So I, I think there is a, an important need to think about how we can get better utilization out of existing uh, homes that are there that have um, more capacity to have people in them. And um, you, know, you mentioned one way to do that. Another way to do that that has been very successful in other places and we're doing it here and we need to do it much more as accessory dwelling units. It allows people to build or convert existing uh, property to a unit that they can rent out and or potentially even um, be part of a long-term arrangement that is um, putting more density into existing, existing space, existing already permitted space, zone space, and gives income to part of the, what's necessary is you have many seniors or people into who are locked into homes then and can't afford and would really welcome extra income from that home. And so you see it by renting it out. And But I think accessory dwelling units are another part of that. And we are going to have to have that conversation because in many of the uh, parts of the state, as we heard some statistics about what proportion of 
the homes in Orange County are in the similar circumstances, very large, and so we have to find some ways to get better utilization out of those. The, the state recently was trying to work something, maybe you can make it clear to the audience here, uh, some kind of tax credit to offset what the federal government did by limiting the $750,000 mortgage write-off and the 10000 property tax. The state of California, Governor Newsom, um, are you aware of I don't know the details of it. Okay. You know, let's talk a little bit about some of the hard work you've been doing. You have something called the Future of Work Commission, which is, tell us what it is. Right. So the governor announced by executive order on uh, May Day, May 1st, that he was going to be establishing a, a Future of Work Commission, a senior broad group across the state of leaders to help explore with him a where is how is technology, globalization, the nature of work going to change over the next decade in California? Um, under the belief that a lot of the, the factors that are influencing that are being developed and are going to hit California first. And so we want to get a group of people to help explore in a very public process over the course of the next year, how do we see that evolving? And what is it that we need to do to make sure that we continue to have a really innovative economy, place where a lot of those new technologies are implemented, but done in a way that creates an opportunity for all of our California residents to participate in that, that we've got an education system that enables people to have the right kinds of capabilities to meet those jobs, that we have the kinds of workforce systems and labor regulations that allow that to, to move going forward. This is, um, and we will be more formally naming the commissioners here shortly and launching the commission in September. The intent is to have an uh, interim report back early next year to have a set of uh, uh, both a factually based understanding of where it might be heading under, you know, it's hard to predict precisely, but at least ranges of what it might be broken down geographically and demographically. And then what are we going to do about it? And we're very excited about this. Um, there's been an enormous amount of interest from across the state um, and from across sectors, from labor, from business, from uh, academia, from the nonprofit sector to support this and be engaged in it. And we're also excited about it because, um, at least from my standpoint, and I'm along with uh, Secretary of Labor Julie Sue and Senior Advisor from Higher Ed, Monday Ajose, going to be staffing this, is we're not viewing this with trepidation, we're viewing with enthusiasm. Um, I'm not a believer that the robots are going to eat our jobs, but I am a believer that we're going through an industrial transformation that's going to be as large or larger than the last ones, and it's going to happen faster. And so therefore we need to adapt and be prepared to take advantage of that in a way where we get all the productivity improvement, we get all of the better quality of life, but we have to do it in a way that that is available for our residents and that we've got uh, particularly an education system that, that is prepared to ensure that we have people who can, can fill those jobs. Well, as an educator for over 10 years in the Sequoia High School District, um, I see a real important issue here, and I think you're really tapping on it. And we need to look down the road. We don't really have any trade schools per se um, in our system. I think that's true not only in San Mateo and Santa Clara County, it's through the state of California. Um, so. I know a lot of the take now on how expensive college is. I think college doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to get that six-figure income. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a big portion of the the response to these changes are going to be through our community college system, who is and has the opportunity to um, both deliver that kind of career and technical education. A lot of jobs that are open today are things that 
can be accomplished through a certificate or a, a, a bat, uh, associate's degree. Um, there are 87,000 cybersecurity jobs open in the state right now, I heard this week, wow. for example. And those are great jobs with good career potential. Um, and so we need them, the community college system to be part of that solution. But I think it's also going to be true that the, one of the likely outcomes of this exploration is that uh, it's no longer going to be the case that you learn in your teens and 20s and earn through the rest of your life. I think what we're going to have is much more of a lifelong learning mechanism. That is already partly happening today by companies doing training, but I think we're going to, in the same way, each prior uh, industrial transformation required big changes in our education system. This one may require that we figure out how do we build a, a lifelong education system that really enables people to continue to renew their their skills as uh, the nature of work evolves. So we're excited about it, and I, I, our systems, our post-secondary education systems, the community college system, the CSU system, the University of California system, as well as our great private entities in the state, are very excited and will be engaged in this with us on this uh, on this journey. Well, you know, I'm excited. Uh, <clears throat> as you know, I do a little bit of property management, and I come across a lot of executives, either they can be from or Apple, Salesforce, and they make substantial incomes. Um, and not only is there substantial incomes, they're still not purchasing houses, they're renting. Um, I had a uh, Google executive looking at a house in Redwood City for $7,600 a month. That's over $100,000. Now, his salary was substantial. It was way over half a million. We have a disparity out here now. Um, so <clears throat> many of the people that own houses can't afford to rent, so they're staying in their house for that same reason, too. What are we going to do on the economic divide? Um, capitalism works the way it should work sometimes, and sometimes there's an imbalance there. Yeah. I mean, I think this may be the defining, uh, along with climate change, the defining issue for our uh, generation, which is we really have to have an economy that works for everyone. Today, as I said, and California is no different than many other parts of the country and the world where we have a recovery, but the recovery has not reached for everyone. We have um, too high a concentration of results going to a small number of people, and we have costs of many things from housing to healthcare to edu education growing faster than incomes. And so we have to reverse that. You know, and obviously there's an enormous anxiety around this in the population. You see it in the political environment. And I, I, and at least we believe that the alternative isn't an uh, authoritarian capitalism, nor is it socialism. It's a capitalism that works for everyone. And that's part of what we are exploring and how we think about this in California is that we want to be a model for how that can work. We want to be a model where we have a robust economy, but one that is much, much more inclusive so that people, everyone has that opportunity, and that we deal with the issues of climate change and the resiliency that we're going to have to have for both economic and, and natural disasters so that we can work through all of that. I don't have a simple answer for you, but that's what we're going to do. You know, I think we do have a learning lesson looking at uh, your Apple, your Google, and your Salesforce, because what they're trying to do is provide housing, health care, transportation. So maybe the model, and child care too, so maybe the model is already there, it's just the government is just starting to get involved with the model to balance the inequities for those people that are not working for the Salesforce or the Google or Facebook. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we, this isn't a problem that's going to be addressed by government action alone. We need a really high quality engagement and partnership with, with our corporate sector, with our 
philanthropic sector, uh, post-secondary education sector to make this work. I mean, what we really want is um, uh, environment where good business is is good business for the long term that works for everyone, and and our best companies understand that and do that. And my my last question, and it's going to be a little bit of a tough one, and we might have to have another interview. How are we going to conquer much better our homeless crisis that we have in California and in the United States, yeah. but specifically in California, because I think you're trying to tackle that same thing. Right. So it is a much longer conversation. I'll give you the outlines of at least how I think about it. It's not unrelated from the housing issue. Obviously, people in the first instance are homeless because they don't have homes, and we're not building enough homes. People on the margin who can't afford them are people who are more vulnerable to being on the streets. And so we have part of this problem is we have to build more housing, more housing that's supportive housing for those who are at, at risk, but more housing broadly, and so that a, a, a teacher who's uh, living in their in a place where their rents go up too fast and they end up living in their car, that's not acceptable in the state of California. And then there's also obviously a whole number of issues around social support and mental health, um, substance abuse that need to be part of this equation as well. Um, the governor established a task force on homelessness that's co-chaired by Mayor Steinberg and, and Thomas, uh, supervisor from Los Angeles, Ridley Scott, Ridley Thomas, that these are addressing those issues, but that's a much longer conversation as well. Lenny, on behalf of Podcast by the Bay, I want to thank you for your valuable time, and I want to congratulate you again on your appointment with the governor. I look forward to being up there in Sacramento someday, visiting you and seeing what what you're doing up there. And I encourage our listeners to go to his website. His website is very thorough and tells you exactly what they're doing. Thanks again, Lenny. Great. Thank you for the time. Appreciate it. listening to the sounds of Leo DeVito performing this song entitled Blue and Green. And you can find out more about Leo at the Highway Soul Music page at highwaysoul.com. Okay, well thanks for listening to this episode. We'd like to thank Lenny again for speaking with Podcast by the Bay. We definitely appreciate his time. And if you'd like to hear any of our other shows, you can check us out at www.podcastbythebay.com. Until next time, stay tuned.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Podcast by the Bay. You can contact us by email at podcastbythebay at gmail.com. Podcast by the Bay is a production of Bay City Communications and is sponsored by Liberty Realty. Liberty Realty, serving the peninsula and surrounding areas since 1986 for all your real estate needs www.liberty-realtyinvestments.com and also Highway Soul Productions www.highwaysoul.com You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast by the Bay as our handle or on Facebook facebook.com slash podcast by the bay and remember you can listen to any of our episodes anytime on any podcast site until next time stay tuned